Hello, welcome to the Reference Counting Podcast. I'm Taylor Hutchison, and I'm here with my co-host, Andy Collins. Hello. And uh, today we're going to start by talking about monorepos. It's something that's been on my mind, um, you know, for the last few weeks, trying to do some research and, and seeing a lot of chatter about it, and a lot of people saying that's the only thing you should ever use, and I just feel all mixed up and have multiple conflicting feelings about them. And I just, I need, I need advice from you, Andy. Can you tell me briefly how you feel about monorepos? I feel like there's some kind of, you know, necessary and ubiquitous Lord of the Rings joke in there somewhere. Hmm. You know, it's like one repo to rule them all sort of situation, but I don't, I don't really know where that joke is. So what I'd really appreciate Whoever's listening, just think of a joke and and laugh a little, and then we can move on and talk about what we need to talk about. Right. If you have one of those jokes, please tweet us at uh, the Ref Count Podcast. I think it's at Ref Count Podcast. Yes. Please tweet us it's there. Something like that. We will. We <laughs> just look us up. Well, we have to look ourselves up. Uh, so if you write a funny joke, we'll read it on air. So mono repo um, being yeah. like a single repo where all of your organization stuff is. Is that how you define a mono? I think repo? that's the idea. Yeah, I don't know if you need. So that is certainly how some people define it. Uh, I don't know if you strictly have to have everything in your organization inside this one repo. But the idea is, you know, you might have multiple. I'll call them deployable artifacts that come out of a single repo that you wouldn't necessarily have one repository for every artifact that you want to create. And the idea is like your applications and your libraries all live side by side. You know, they're, they're the code at rest inside one repository. And I think the main advantage is that uh, they all kind of, since they're sharing, there's these interrelationships and these connections between the, the libraries and the applications and the tests also are in there. Um, everything stays in sync. If you update a piece of a library that has some impact on some application that you wouldn't necessarily guess, well, all the tests are running and everything is being checked and it, it's all kind of harmonious inside this one repository. And the alternative would be if you had multiple repositories, well, it's possible to break something uh, or it's a bit easier to break something unintentionally when you update a piece of code. So is that how you kind of understand mono? Yeah, I think so. I think, well, I think you explained it better than I could, but you're saying that is a mono repo a way to just sort of accept that this is all one system that is all going to work together in production or in, in the real world, it's all connected. And so a monorepo is just acknowledging that in the way that you do source control. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, I think there's another part that I want to dig into, which is, you know, what is the scale of your company or organization or your code base? And does it make sense for, for all scales? And I think like, yes, it acknowledges that reality, but I don't know if that is a reality that is shared up and down the software industry. It could be, it could be. I mean, I, I acknowledge there might be advantages to a modern repo at small organizations. I think you 
read about them a lot at large organizations and you have this tendency it's not just with repos but you have this tendency to say oh that's how google does it that's how facebook does it that's how i should do it you know yeah that's interesting so there's aspects of that it's interesting to me because sort of naively if i hadn't didn't have that exposure to like this is how google does it i would tend to think i think i would think that it would be more likely for a smaller organization with less of a code base to do a monorepo. And then once you got really big, you would have to be break it up into smaller chunks. So to me, at least it's kind of counterintuitive. Yeah, that's a good point. I would think so too. It's like you would all, you would just start with one res- repository until it became too burdensome. And then you'd have to split it into maybe multiple ones. And that would be an evolution that would happen at bigger companies. Um, but yeah, it is a bit of the inverse, right? It is, uh, you know, smaller companies tend to start with single purpose repositories and then look for a way to combine them if, if, if possible. Well, isn't it, you know, you maybe you correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I mean, Google wasn't always a monorepo, was it? Did they, did they discover the, the one true path and like convert to a monorepo at some point? That's a good question. I don't know. I think I, I would need to do a bit of research. I have heard someone talk on a different podcast about the, the monorepo and they were kind of questioned about it and, you know, expounded on its virtues and all that stuff. But I don't remember if that's just all, the, you know, how it's been. I, I don't think so. I think it was discovered that, um, you know, Hey, we, we need, uh, we need a, a monorepo. And I don't know if it includes absolutely everything either you know, is the search engine stuff and Chrome, for example, all in the same repository. I need to do a bit of research there. But certainly a lot of the internal systems, you know, the things that kind of power what we think of as Google.com exist in a monorepo. Yeah, to me, that's what, you know, you might think of as the search, but I guess that would also include, you know, Gmail and the calendar and um, maps and that sort of thing. I mean, you're right. Chrome feels like it's like a different thing. And I don't know what that story with that is because Chrome is derived from Chromium and that Chromium is definitely its own repo um, that exists outside of the Google world. Um, But the things that you said, the internal systems, the things that that are Google, the main Google product, uh, as as my understanding, are all, all part of the same thing. And I, you know, I can I can understand that if you have a if you have the infrastructure to really run all those tests. So mm-hmm. it, it doesn't really buy, maybe it doesn't buy you much. Um, if you, if you are not able to, to, to just verify the, the system as a whole, every time you commit, which is what you're doing, yeah. right? That's what, that's the power it gives you is to say, this is the, and this is maybe like, version you know one million and seventeen hundred and thirty five of you know this is that commit so this is that version of our whole of everything that is our system and it all works together because all the tests pass and so we know that everything is going to be fine right so we didn't break calendar over here when we you know changed ads over here whatever exactly i mean i think that that is part of it for sure that kind of verification and also this uh code sharing you know, easier on the code sharing, which is the part that I feel like I want to challenge a little bit because I'm, I'm much more comfortable with the packages 
kind of model where you just you, you can commit as much as you want in, in your own repository and then package it up and say that's what we share not the the raw code the unpackaged code um but i definitely do see the idea of like you know verifying you're always in, you always know the state of the system that it's either good or bad i mean i imagine you can still commit um and 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 wreck something but at least you know but what so when it comes to packages or, or libraries or whatever that you're using, is every product that's sharing a particular library, do they always have to stay up to date? Does it, you know, and, and this is not the you know, question about Google. This is a monorepo question. Do you, if you update a library, um, so you have, I don't know, some kind of HTTP library that you're, that you're updating, do do is it the library author's job to make sure that all of the things that are dependent on that library in the whole monorepo in the whole system to make sure that they all work do they have to like hmm. leave something in a branch until the the teams that own those other products can test it or is there some kind of versioning scheme where you're still actually pulling even though it's all in one repo you're still pulling the library from some repository or some kind of, you know, library registry or something somewhere. I think the tooling around this has gotten a little bit better, but I mean, that's where you, you would say, okay, we're moving from version nine to 10. And so we're going to mark this as deprecated. And now we're going to get all these warnings about this. Uh, any consumer that's using this library, that's using a deprecated API. And so you kind of, I don't know. I don't know what the right dance is there, but you know, you mark something as deprecated. You say, I'm going to remove this and you kind of hopefully tell them a timeline and then they have like a certain amount of time to, to upgrade to the new system. So I think you have to provide the alternative first, then you mark something as deprecated and then you remove it. Well, I guess actually it's like a three-step process. So I realized that there was an implication that I was, or an assumption I was making in my uh, question. So let me ask it a little bit more explicitly. If I'm using a monorepo and I have a library that I'm using, if I'm working on it on a product team or something, right. And we're using a library that's being, that's being written by some other team. Am I actually, um, am I, am I linking to the source code or am I actually pulling in that package, that library from some kind of internal registry? Is that oh, I, I I was under the assumption that you were actually linking to the source code that that it was being built like your application was being built. And I'm, I'm just like maybe imagining C++ here, right? Like you're actually bringing in those header files and and all that stuff um, when you build your application. You're not necessarily using packages that are built from the same monorepo. I would say that you're yeah directly linked to the source code. So that, I mean, that would mean that I'm going to get, you know, presumably that means I'm going to get the version. I'm going to get whatever version is in the main or master branch or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Or I guess whatever branch that I'm working in that I've merged in, whatever the latest is. Yeah, I guess if you uh, break off a feature branch, yeah, whatever was in there at the time, unless you choose to to pull in other changes. But I'm gonna, I can't just take whatever's in there at the time because when I merge my work, 
into the main branch, then yeah, now you're out of yeah. State. What's that going to do? Like, I'm not. I don't want to. I'm not going to make any changes there. I'm going to you know. So I've got to main make sure that I'm always keeping up to date with this other library's code. Well, I think that's where you would get. Uh, you would hopefully have some some test coverage to say, okay, you're trying to merge, but. Now that, uh, well, maybe, maybe the build would break. Yeah. You would, you would break the build because now you're using, you've merged back in, but that API surface has changed. And so it's just not going to even compile. So I, you know, I, think, I mean, but that's still, I think it would be my responsibility to regularly merge. So that doesn't catch me off guard. Right. Yeah. 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 I think that that, that is your responsibility, the downstream consumer's responsibility, but that is a delicate relationship because, you know, if someone comes up with, uh, if someone has like a very popular core library, maybe like an SSL library or something, you know, that, that probably a lot of products are going to use. I just can't imagine the, 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 the overwhelming responsibility of like needing to make sure you're supporting tons of products and you don't break something. I just, um, it, it feels that, that that's where I feel like I would want to depend on versioned packages, you know, and, and, and cut a version when I feel comfortable that this is, this is going to work and say, okay, this is 1.0, 1.1. And I decide what goes into 1.1, not necessarily just whatever today's or, you know, whatever the nightly build is. When I think this, you know, the, all these questions really answer the question that I had earlier, you know, or the, it's sort of a, the reason why it's bigger organizations are, and more, um, more evolved, more, more mature, I guess, is the word more mature organizations can do this and less mature or smaller organizations just can't, right? It's just, there's a lot to, you have to keep up with to make this work. I mean, there's a lot of automation you have to do to keep, to make this work. And I know I've yeah. never really worked in an organization that, that we were never quite there. I've worked for a couple of, you know, large-ish organizations, um, nothing Google, Facebook, Apple level, but we, you know, we were doing good to, to have tests and to, we like, every month we ran like code coverage tests, you know, it wasn't like every time you, you committed or whatever, it was once a month we did it. And then there was a spreadsheet and we looked at the spreadsheet and we just, and if we had better coverage than we had the previous month, we got a bonus. And if we didn't, then people yelled at us, <laughs> you know, that was as good as we got. I feel like that's a very easily game system, but yeah. I, I, well, Appreciate it was, saying. I mean, that may be true. Like we, you know, the bonus wasn't big enough to be worth that, to be honest. <laughs> to, to incentivize <laughs> yeah. you to, yeah. Um, but, you know, that was a relatively big organization. We did, we had some tools around the build. Um, and it was actually, now that I, you know, think back on it, not quite a mono repo, but there was a lot of stuff in the same repository. Uh, and this was mm -hmm. a, a TFS, uh, T, what is it called? T TFVC. TFVC, yeah. Um and this was some time ago. But it it was like a lot of stuff was in there. And whenever it came time to do a release, uh we I, I you know, I didn't think about this before we talked before that we started recording. I guess I blocked out a lot of this, but now it's coming back to me. I'm starting I'm having these memories now. Of uh when, we, when it came time to do a release, it was 
it was a huge deal. We had a, you know, the build master, somebody was dubbed that with that role. The person basically who had the most stuff that was going out was, was, <laughs> was in charge of making it all work and doing the deploy. And of course the other teams well, would, would work with that person, but this person was kind of owned it. And yeah. they were responsible for doing the final merge, getting it all into a test environment, you know, organizing it around the testers to make sure that everybody was good, working with the ops team to, you know, we deployed at that time to a single server. And then we, once we tested it there, we deployed across the board to um, the rest of the servers or whatever. Um, mm. And that was very painful and terrible. And it was like, it was, you know, nobody wanted to do it. And we, we deployed every, I wish I can't remember now. I want to say it was every couple of weeks. So it was hardly anything continuous. Uh, and we, it wasn't even really continuous to the test servers. Uh, we could, we had to continuous deployment to individual team development servers. And in that world, like we didn't really even have the entire product being deployed. Uh, since then, that organization has actually matured a lot. And from what I understand, they, they can every time they want to deploy, they actually deploy everything all at once, all the time, just to make sure that there are no issues. And I think it's a lot, this process is a heck of a lot smoother than it used to be. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the, I think that's the ultimate sort of, that's a good place to be. Um, and you just get so much more confidence in your, your code and your deployment when you're really doing everything. Uh, and it's just, you know, that repeatable pattern. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good and that's point. the sort of thing that, that I don't know if they are actually, but that's the sort of thing that the cloud, I think helps you with, you know, the, the cloud. Um, I, I don't know if you can hear the quote, the finger quotes there. <laughs> I uh, did. I heard that's you pause good. to lift yeah, your fingers up. Um, the, you know, where you can spin up environments that much more easily. And mm-hmm. it, at that time when I worked there, we, we had our own data center. It was a different world. But um, when you, if you can spin up an environment, you know, configure it exactly like production, run everything, throw a bunch of automated tests at it, or even manual tests, you know, if you have a, a good test suite and a, and a you know, team of testers, which is what largely, we had some manual tests or automated, automated tests in those days, but there was a lot of manual testing that went on too. Um, you know, you can mm-hmm. make sure that everything looks good. Um, yeah, but it was, it was well, actually I mean, a single repo that we were mostly deploying everything except those times we're like, well, we're not going to change that. So let's not touch that. And there's a lot of manual, like copying files over, um, that it, it was, I don't know, I guess it was part of the growing pains. I'm sure a lot of people have gone through. Yeah. But it really rem- so I feel it, like we're sorry. It, show, it showed me that partly we we had some of it, uh, but there was a lot of manual process, and that was super painful. And it yeah. would have been less painful if everything had been individual and was deployable individually, or it would have been less painful if we had had a ton of automation and testing. But we were kind of right there in the middle of where it was just pain, and that's like it's really strange that I guess I. I wasn't even thinking about that when you originally wanted to talk about this uh, this topic, but that was that's my uh, my my hidden memory or my recovered memory there. I think you're right though that like, well, so there there are clear benefits to mono repos. I'm not trying to say that there are not, uh, but you're right about you know you need this sort of advanced tooling that you might or or 
very disciplined um, practitioners and, and coders that are working inside the mono repo to understand the, the pitfalls and, and know what, what's going on. And, and sometimes your organization is just not big enough or there's probably an optimal organization size to support this. Um, not that, not that small organizations couldn't do it, but sometimes coders are just, uh, they got to focus on the business problem, not necessarily their own technical problem that they're creating for themselves. I'm not, I, I don't know. You know, there's advantages to, to both ways of, of doing it. So my wife and I recently got a dog. Hmm. And this, this dog is a rescue and, and she's a little timid. Uh, and by timid, I mean, just terrified all the time. And, yeah. and it's interesting, you know, we've had her for, uh, about three weeks, about four weeks now, actually. And she's you know, becoming a little more comfortable with this and that's great. But I, I watch her try to make a decision. I watch her making decisions sometimes between say, you know, coming to one of us for some affection or food, something that she really wants that's positive, but she's also nervous and tentative and afraid. She doesn't want to actually leave her, her kennel or she doesn't want to leave where she is because she, she feels like she's in a safe place. And so you sort of watch this sort of cost benefit analysis going on in her head, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it just reminds it, you know, again, in the way that maybe, maybe we can make metaphors out of things. Um, the metaphor that I would say is what, what the thing that that reminds me of from what you just said is you have to have enough motivation. Like I have to, she has to have Mm -hmm. enough motivation that it's worth the pain and the, you know, of overcoming the fear of walking outside of her kennel, coming across the floor and taking that risk, you know, and until the motivation is strong enough, she is staying put. And I think that's well, true in, in, you know, a dev team or in an, organiza- in a, an organization when they talk about these things. If the pain's not enough, you're just not going to do it. Yeah. And I think that's where, like, you know, dogs and coders are sort of pack animals in a way, right? They, they, they all have this kind of unsure, you know, cost-benefit, weighing the options thing that they do, but they feel much more comfortable about it if they have somebody else doing it with them. You know what I mean? So they're much more likely to be firm and confident in their decisions if, if, if other people are doing it too. I feel like that's where monorepos sort of, for me, fall down, not on the technical merits, but I think like, okay, if I were to champion a monorepo, like, would that just be something other people use? Or is it really something that other people are going to buy into and see the benefits? And now you have to do this change management kind of thing. Um, to get people to sort of really change the culture around the way they do it. Um, and I just feel like it's one of those things that I, I have to weigh the cultural side of it, not just the technical merits when you're talking about introducing it to an organization. Maybe if the organization gets born that way and that's just the culture they've had, um, it's a lot easier. But to, to switch that those kinds of aspects just like changing a language, right? If we were to say like, we're not doing this language anymore, we're going to do something, we're going to do Python or Rust or something like that. I don't know. That just feels like, yes, you might have benefits, um, but the cultural side of that would be so much harder. 
Well, that and that's part of the cost, I think, too. Right, the cultural, the you're right. It's a it's a cultural change. It's a change in values. It's there's a, it, the cost is kind of the perceived cost. You know, if it feels really new or different or hard, it's going to be troublesome. It really doesn't matter if it will be or not. If you believe that it will be, the perceived cost is really what you're fighting against. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, uh, you know, we've, we both, I know we both worked in organizations where, you know, the, the way we've always done it is good enough. And even if we can make a logical, rational case to, to improve some of our processes, like that, the value of that does not overweigh the, the, the inertia or the cost of change or the fear that it's going to be that it's going to break something or it's going to be painful or it's going to be more trouble than it's worth, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I've just seen a lot of chatter on tech and software development, Twitter, you know, people saying, if you're not using a monorepo, you're doing it wrong. You know, those kind of absolutist statements uh, that I like to rage against. Um, You know, I, I just don't. I don't understand when people just say it has to be a certain way, you know, that they, they, I just want to know what their background is. Like what kind of organizations have they been in where they think there's a single way of doing something? Well, yeah. I mean, I think if you're not delivering value, you're doing it wrong is the only thing. That's the only absolute that I can, that I can hold to when it comes to this stuff. Like if you're not actually producing something that people are using and are getting some value from, and you're not doing it, you know, relatively inexpensively, or it's not, you know, worth the cost or whatever. Then you're doing it wrong. Otherwise, you're doing it right. You know, yeah. I mean, or at least you're not doing it wrong. You could maybe you know, everybody can always do it better. But that's, you know, just saying it's wrong is unnecessary, and this just shuts down the conversation too. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, maybe I need to cut tech Twitter a little bit of a break because it's just not the, the right medium for having those kind of conversations. It, it lends itself to absolutist statements, you know, because you can only fit so many things, you know, there, there's not a lot of new room for nuance in a tweet. Uh, it feels like, yeah, maybe one day we can have, have a conversation about the best way to actually keep up with new things and new thoughts. And cause I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that is. And Twitter is one of the ways that I do too. And I think you're right. It's, I mean, yeah. like all social media, it's terrible, but here we are. <laughs> right. It's skewed. Uh, it doesn't represent, you know, it doesn't capture a lot of the dark matter developers. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, I'm addicted to it. I love it. I, I read it all the time, but uh, it just is infuriating in a way that, yeah, I want to know. That's a great conversation. We should have some time. Like what's the best way or what's the the best mix? You know, I've heard that, some people say that books are still the best way to spread sort of news. And that's more general, like, you know, what's happening in the world kind of thing uh, because there's time for analysis. Um, But that was made when, when um, articles on the, that, that comment was made when the articles on the web were sort of the, the primary way. I think this was before Twitter, but now I feel like we've gotten into a world where it's just the headlines right? Like headlines are the way that news primarily spreads and no one really spends a lot of time reading the articles anymore because there's just such a, 
inundation of news who can who can possibly read it or keep it up and keep up with it all so people just choose to read the headlines and the tweets well in the like long ago and the long ago tech twitter when i first got on twitter a long a very long time ago at this point um that was some of the value was you would get the headline message and then you could sort of decide if you wanted to go deeper it's you know it's kind of like that the same thing you get from going to a conference you get an hour talk you're not it's not a deep dive into any subject but you can spend an hour 50 minutes or whatever you know learning enough to decide for yourself whether or not you want to go any deeper so that was mm-hmm. you know that was that was kind of at its best i think what twitter could could offer uh, and and really now you know and then it became arguments and absolute statements and just you know ridiculous stuff and and just people yelling at each other and and looking for for doom and just you know I, I'm very clear it was funny you said uh, that you look at it all the time and I very have a very clear memory of years and years ago when I used to smoke uh, like just standing outside smoking a cigarette and looking down at that cigarette and just hating it and then just taking a big long drag <laughs> and then looking at it some more and just it was it's a, it's a very complex uh, there's a very complex relationship yeah. that people have with their addictions you know yeah. and, I, and I'm not making any statements that I'm any better with Twitter because I'm on there all the time myself yeah I feel like in, in a way you sort of there is this urge that you have to be in order to keep up with, with all the all the things because you know i'm a particular type of developer i'm a dotnet developer i'm an angular developer but i also want to know what's going on with react or Next.js or uh, rust and stuff like that and the best way to do that to see that sort of broad community perspective is something like twitter or reddit and you know reading the headlines you can't possibly read every article that comes out about all the different types of frameworks and languages so you do have to stay at that that headline level and, and have them filtered up by people that you hopefully trust. So I don't know. Maybe we someday get to that point where the AI can tell us what we need to know um, and, and stay sort of unbiased, but I'm, I'm doubtful of that. I don't know. You always like to talk about that AI that's coming to, to help, help guide us. I feel like that AI, I think we said this before, that AI will help us for about the first 30 seconds. And then it'll be like, you know, <laughs> there's really no need for you to be in this relationship. <laughs> right. You're, you're right. You're right. Uh, that is definitely what's going to happen. Um, you said something a minute ago that really interests me. That's about conferences and whether or not there's still value. Now, of course, I'm like dreaming of days post-COVID um, when we can go back to physical conferences, but I, I'm wondering about the value of, of conferences. And certainly in the pre sort of social media days, conferences were, were great ways of connecting with people and, and building those networks. But now I feel like a lot of the networking happens through social media and what are conferences now? Are there, and I'm talking about in-person conferences, um, do you still see value in those or, or what? Well, hopefully there are not too many, too many managers listening, but I mean, I think conferences are sort of like vacations and, mm. but they're at their best, which I think they often are this at their best, they're productive, valuable vacations. They're maybe a vacation is not the right word, recreational recreational in the sense that you know in the sense of that word meaning to recreate oneself right 
You go to the conference, you gain, you meet people, you talk to fellow nerds. Um, you, you know, you, you do hear about new things that are going on. Maybe you hear in-depth, you know, discussions about, you know, more mature technology or more mature techniques, but it's the real value of a conference to me has always been as a time to sort of reset myself, to get myself out of the work a day world, but to not leave this field that I care about and love and, and what I'm interested in. Yeah, I, I, mean, I get what you're saying about not too many managers listening, although I'm, I'm, I'm sure they already understand that part of it sort of intuitively. Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that aspect of it, but just in a in terms of disseminating technical information as a way of sharing new ideas, do conferences, are they sort of an outdated model for that? Are there better ways of doing it? Or is there still some kind of not quite understood value that we would miss if we stopped going to in-person conferences? I don't know. I think, you know, I think there, you, you usually get something, you get something from a conference. You don't get something from every talk that you get, you know, there's some, there's some nougat or nugget and I said nougat, some nougat of value <laughs> uh, that yeah. you get uh, there that, that is informational. I mean, I, I mean, if you're asking the question, like, are they necessary to disseminate information? I would say no. But are they useful to disseminate information? Yes. And I think there's other value to the, the other stuff that we talked about. So, you know, I think it's not wrong for you to tell your manager that you get knowledge from a conference. Um, it might be wrong to say that there's no other place where this knowledge lives. You know, it only exists in this faraway place that I have to fly to or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we both certainly know that, that would be a, a a lie, I think. But yeah, I guess I just if I was to sit in a room for thirty minutes and and listen to somebody speak about you know Docker or something like that, I think honestly I'd probably be unless it was something brand new that was being you know revealed for the first time. I think that thirty minutes would be better spent just reading documentation. Honestly, if I just wanted to 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 gain more knowledge. Um, but there is something I think about like more workshop st style kind of conferences where you're actually sitting down building something with someone who knows and can offer advice and kind of talk to you and look you in the face. Um, so those things still have value. Yeah. I mean, it's there. I think that the value is different. I think the value of a conference talk is, is an exposure, like you said, to something brand new. Or maybe a motivation, you know, maybe you've heard of Docker before, but now you're going to sit and watch this person do a Docker demonstration. And, you know, that might be the, 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 the straw that you need, the last straw that you needed to sort of push you over to going into that world and exploring it yourself. I mean, there's value there. Who knows? It, 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 it's, you know, again, it's not as, uh, it's not the absolute statements that you might make to your management, but I think there's a, there's a nebulous thing. <laughs> right. But, you know, I, I don't want to, yeah. you know, I really still think the mo the main thing is kind of a human connection and, and a reset, mm -hmm. uh, a reset, like while you're drenching yourself in new technical nerdiness, 
right? That that's right. really it's like a it's like it's like a nerd baptism, right? Yeah, yeah I think yeah, and it's not just about what that kind of human connection during the the daylight hours, right? There's there's the 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 fun game night stuff you might do uh, at night, um, and uh, there's a lot of value in that, and just like having you know regular human conversations with people with like-minded people. Oh yeah. I think, you know, going out to the bar or a restaurant or something with people, either, you know, a little bit or a friend of a friend, or I think that is most of it. I guess they, the hallway track people call it, but that extends past the, the, you know, the scheduled end for the day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all about it. I don't, but again, I don't think it's mostly about disseminating information. I think you're right. Well, I think the, uh, you know, people used to say, or still say, I guess, that it, you go to a conference to learn what to learn, like you were kind of saying, like the things to, oh yeah, they, you know, I'm seeing multiple tracks about Kubernetes or something like that. Maybe it's time to, to dive in or, you know, whatever that might be. Um, I guess I just feel like that, you know, is is being done more in social media, being done more in Twitter, like kind of how many times do I see this word repeated? Okay, maybe it's time to learn about, you know, I don't know, the whatever JavaScript framework or new language. Well, the thing that maybe we'll talk about next time we get together uh, that I've been hearing a lot about on Twitter just today, but in the past few days, is uh, server-side rendering. Some Mm. of your web applications, people are talking. It's back. Yep, (laughs) it is back. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think that that is definitely a, a whole conversation in itself. D- the different techniques, it, it's funny. I mean, to just kind of get into the top of that talk before we actually have it. Um, all these JavaScript people who have been client-side rendering purists now espousing kind of like a, a, mul- a multimodal, multimodal, is that right? Multimodal uh, method of rendering. Um, so fascinating stuff. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next time. Is that it? That's how we end that, it. Just, I'll talk to you next time. Just, or, or just like a very firm goodbye. Good. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>